Uh, we are in a series, as Dana just said, it's called Some Assembly Required. We're talking about community, the nuts and bolts of community, and what it looks like to be in community, and the importance of being in community, and how that can affect not only our life, but our society, and uh, help to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, we've been clarifying and defining, and in some cases redefining what community looks like, and talking about the importance of it. I think um, just as a kind of a recap from last week, we talked about the why of community, and I know one of the, the uh, reasons we talked about the fact that we need community is that it's, it's so important to us, even for our own health, because God has designed us for community. And, and community has been under attack this year because of COVID-19, right? I mean, we've seen it. The church has not been able to get together like it's wanted to. A lot of people are still having to watch online every Sunday because they can't come out yet. And you see even sporting events are affected and, and all over the place, community has been affected. And we've also seen the, the effects of the fact that we haven't been able to have a community like we normally do. We've seen depression rates, suicide rates, all kinds of negative things happening because of the fact that we've not been able to have community like we're designed to have. And so it's so important that we understand the great need for community and that it is so much more about just showing up, but it's actually about being known. And last week I shared about the three C's of community, that being connected, committed, and cohesive are the three. And that community is not just about coming together. It's about being committed to what we're doing. And we've been sharing a text verse. We started last week. We're going to share it each week this month. That kind of encapsulates what we're talking about when we talk about community. And it's in Romans 12. I know you've been standing, but would you please stand with me one more time in honor of reading God's word. Out of Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, Form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. And that's what we want to focus on, the fact that we belong to each other. That's what community looks like. It's not about a bunch of individuals. It's about us coming together and being invested in each other and being committed to each other and connected to each other and unified together. Last week we talked about the why of community. This week we're going to talk about what we bring, why it's important that what we bring into community is, is, is so important. The characteristics we bring into community, we are meant to be a blessing to community, but to the people that we come into community with, but also to draw people from outside that community into the body. And most importantly, the community that we're involved with that matters the most is the body of Christ. And so that's what we're talking about today. So would you pray with me? Father God, we do love you today. We thank you so much that we know that you're here. And Holy Spirit, we need you. And God, I just move myself out of the way today and tell you you can have your way. Do what you want to do and what only you can do in this remaining time that we have together today. God, do your work in our hearts. We thank you for it, Lord. You are good and you are worthy of everything that we are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Before you're seated, look at someone beside you and say, what are you bringing? Or you can say, bring it. Bring it on. What are you bringing to community? You know, since we're in such an extraordinary time in our society because of COVID-19 and obviously the political upheaval and turmoil that we're experiencing right now, I actually considered kind of pressing the pause button on this series for a moment when I was seeing everything that was happening this week. And to talk maybe more about, you know, trying to encourage us and give us hope and even addressing some of the political things that are going on and, and the church's response to it. But you know what, then I realized very quickly that we're talking about community and that's actually incredibly appropriate based on the situation that we're in right now. It's even, it's more important. And so this is actually a very timely series that we're doing in the midst of this chaos. The world needs the body of Christ to be united and be the community that God has called us to be more in chaos than they do when we're not in chaos. So it's all the more important that we understand and are engaged and committed and connected in community now than it would have been even a year ago. And so I'm not pausing this series at all. We're going ahead full speed because I believe this is exactly what we need to hear in this crazy time that we are living in. Because, you know, last week when I was talking about the whys of community, the first one, the first why was that we are in a war. You know, I said we are in a war. It's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual war that we are in. 
Well, let me tell you, today I think we recognize the spiritual war we're in more than we did last week. Amen? We are in a war. As followers of Jesus, there's a spiritual war we are involved in. And it is so important that we are able to come together as the body and be united. And the second, one of the other whys that I gave last week was that we come to community to spur one another on. Remember that? Hebrews 10. We spur one another on to good works. There's no greater time than now that we need to spur one another on to trust Jesus. We need to trust Jesus in a greater way than we've ever trusted him, church. We're not trusting in a political process. We're not trusting in a candidate. We're not trusting in a political party. We're not putting our trust in a vaccine. We're not putting our trust in anything else. We have to put our trust in Jesus. Jesus. And I believe we are about to have to learn how to trust him more than we ever have as the church, as followers of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what it's like to really trust him, if you've kind of been skirting by, you're going to get a crash course on what it looks like to trust Jesus. Because there is no sign. There are signs that are pointing to this political turmoil getting worse, not better. And there's a spiritual battle in it as well. And so we can't always even trust what we see with our eyes. And we have to know and understand that we are in a, a spiritual battle and we need each other. We need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. Because here's the thing, church, when it comes to trusting Jesus, what I've learned in my short life and what I'm continuing to learn all the time is that if I make the gospel the priority in my life, if it's not just in name only, but my priority in life is really about making his kingdom come and his will be done. When I see chaos and I see trials and tribulation and riots and protesting and, and hatred and, and vitriol being spewed everywhere, I can, if, I, if my priority is the gospel and God's kingdom, I can see anything in this world that happens as a vehicle that God can use to expand his kingdom. Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Sometimes the more chaotic, the more crazy, the better the vehicle to bring people into the kingdom of God. But it has to be that our focus, that our priority in life is not just the gospel in name only, but it really is his kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, even at the risk of my discomfort. Let your will be done. And if we are focused on that, we can go through any trial, any tribulation, any fire, any storm with joy. That's why the Bible says consider it joy when you go through these things. Because if your focus is on him, all these other things that are happening out here, all this chaos can absolutely be a vehicle that God can use for his glory. All day, every day. But we have to believe it. You have to start by, wanting, by, by prioritizing in your own life what's going to be important to you. And my prayer is that God would do whatever it takes to wake us up, church. To wake up the church of America. The church of the world, for that matter. That God would do whatever it takes to wake us up. Oh, that our passion would be just as strong for the gospel as it is our political party. I see a lot of passion about politics right now. Man, I, you can't... You can't look anywhere without seeing a lot of passion. But is that passion just as strong for us when we see and know and recognize that there are people being separated from God and going to hell in droves? You know that feeling you have in the pit of your stomach, that uneasiness when you see stuff happening in our society that you don't like, even whether it's political, whether it's sociological, whatever it is, but that feeling of like, I just I can't even deal with what's happening right now. Oh, that that would be the feeling we have when we think about the fact that people are separated from God. That the priority would be the gospel. That it would be his kingdom even more than anything else that we can tangibly see with our eyes. And I'm saying, God, do whatever you got to do. Wake us up, God. Wake us up. It is time for the church to be the church. We have got to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. We are the hope that God gives to this world. Because, see, you know what? The world needs the church more than they know. Because even for the world, their only hope is the gospel. They may not know it, 
but it's our place to show them. It's our place to love them in such a way, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the salt of the earth that God has called us to be. It's our place to do that. The Bible says, how will they know if no one tells them? How will they know? We can't expect the world to act like Christians because they're not. It's up to us to be what he has called us to be. Community is not about comfort. We're not doing this series so that we can make you comfortable in community. We can all be a happy church and just ooey-gooey and united and loving each other. That's, that's a part of it, but that's not the main focus. Community is not about comfort. It's about getting busy being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what it's about, church. Anything other than that is secondary. Everything and anything besides that is secondary. And I'm telling you, what the Lord is telling us as the church is that we have to wake up, that we have to be the church. On Sunday mornings, we get to come in here and be part of the church. But the other six and a half days of the week, it's about being out there and being the church. And whatever that means, to love people the way Jesus would have you love them, to look for opportunities to love people in such a way that God would want you to love them, to not come in anger and frustration and bitterness and resentment and vitriol, but to come to them with love. Even people you vehemently disagree with, and to love them as Christ would love them. So how does community look? Like what we bring to community, how does that look? Because when we think about what we bring to community, when I was prepping this this week, it made me think about like a potluck. And I remember as a kid growing up, we'd, go, we'd have potlucks with our family. I have a, a big extended family. I have over 50 first cousins. And we'd get together and we'd be a big old thing. And when we did, there was always that one person in the family that whatever they brought, you knew you wanted to stay away from it. Like me and my brothers, we would literally watch to see what that person brought, and okay, that's the one to stay away from. Because, you know, they were the one that would try something like putting lima beans in jello or something weird, you know, something no one would want to eat. That's really gross sounding. <laughs> but they would do stuff like that, you know, and even if it wasn't a nasty thing, you just didn't really trust that it was going to be clean and salted and what, you know, so you stayed away from them. You don't want to be that person that brings that to community, you know, you don't want to be the person that brings fruitcake to the community, you know where they just basically want you just to take it home when you leave. You want to be the person that's bringing the turkey and dressing. Can I get an amen? That's right. The good stuff. When it's set down on the counter, it's gone in like five minutes. If you're not first in line, you're not going to get any. That's what we want to bring to community. We bring characteristics into community that will be a blessing that people will want. They'll be glad that we're part of community. And that the people on the outside will see those characteristics and want to be brought in. They'll be looking in the window at what we got and say, I want to be part of that. Because we're bringing goodness into it. We're bringing godliness. We're bringing the characteristics that the world needs, that they're looking for. That's what it looks like to have community. And, you know, when I was, when I was thinking through this and preparing this, I did some research. And, you know, there's a, there's a group of people. There's, more and more people are, getting, uh, are losing affiliation with any church or any religion. They call them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N. They call them nuns because they're none. They're no affiliation, okay? And when you, when you talk to them and you say, what are the biggest reasons that you don't have an affiliation with a church or a religion? There, there's three things that are their top three things that the nuns would say, this is what keeps me from organized religion. And I'm going to give you those three things today and talk about the importance of us having them. In fact, I'll give them all three to you now and then I'll unpack them. It's integrity, transparency, and authenticity. These are the three things that the nuns are saying, I don't see that in the church, and that's why I stay away. And so we need to exemplify these things in community, in the body of Christ, so that we can make a difference in our world. So I'm going to give you the first one. It's integrity. And there's a definition of integrity. It just says being honest and having strong moral principles. I think you guys probably understand what integrity is. Uh, it's about being faithful. Faithful is a good synonym for integrity, faithfulness, and, and honoring your word. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. That's integrity. I don't think that's too much for the world to ask that the church would honor its word, right? I don't think it's too much to ask at all. I think that's actually good. They should be able to ask that of us because that's a characteristic of a follower of Jesus, right? But because you see outside of the church, and this is where we don't look different enough from the world, is outside of the church, your word doesn't mean anything anymore. Everything has to have a contract. I mean everything. you got to have a contract for everything, right? And these documents are long documents a lot of times, but you got a contract for everything. 
Even if you go on a website now, you have to agree to terms of service. You know, you gotta, your word's no good anymore. It's got to be documented, and it's got to be verified. It's got to have a signature, a notarization. It has to have witnesses. It's really amazing. It used to be back in the day, you could do a handshake deal, and that was good enough. Well, those days are gone. In fact, you know, when I first started building houses back in 04, I remember the very first closing I went to when I was selling this house. And, you know, you get a stack of paperwork you got to sign. You're just signing your name. You don't even read stuff. You're just signing it, trying to get out of there, you know. And you're signing documents that a reiteration of the reiteration of the last document. You're signing it again. And sometimes the closing attorney even chuckles when they're like, yeah, you got to sign this too. But the one that really threw me was there's a document you have to sign a lot of times at closing that's from the attorney's office that says, if we happen to miss anything or there was a typo or something or something has to be signed again or we miss something you have to sign, you agree to come back in and sign it. I had to sign a document saying that I would come back in and sign a document if you miss something. When I saw that, I said, yeah, we're spiraling out of control here in this society. If they got to ask me to sign, to promise by signature that I will come back to sign something. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at as a society. Our word is, does not hold weight anymore outside of there. But inside the church, the world expects us to be people that honor our word, that are people with integrity. And I believe God expects us to be people of integrity that honor our word. How many times have we committed to something and then afterwards have regretted it and tried to look for an excuse to get out of it? I mean, if I ask for a show of hands, if we're honest, every hand in here would have to go up, including my own, because we've all done it. And you justify it. You think, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, if I can make an excuse, nobody's feelings will be hurt. They're none the wiser, but God sees it. In fact, in Psalm 15, in verse 1, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? We'll stop there for a second. This is David saying, who can dwell with the Lord? Who can live in his tent, in the tabernacle, in, his pla- in the place of his presence? Who can be in the presence of God and be there comfortably and be under the protection of God, under his covering, his tent? Who is able to do that is what David is asking here. That's the question. Well, then he goes on to answer it. He lists certain characteristics of people that are able to live in God's tent. And in verse 4, the second part, one of the people that can do it is that person who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. That's powerful. So if you want to be able to, to, to comfortably be in the presence of God, be under his protection, under, in his tent, in his dwelling, he says that person will keep their word even when it hurts. It's important to God that we honor our word. It doesn't say anything about how it affects the other person. It's saying that God will know. It's important that we honor our word in community. And you might say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, well, I'll give you some New Testament. All right? The very words of Jesus himself in Luke 16, verses 10 11. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So have you, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So Jesus is saying here, if you got worldly wealth and you're not, if you're not, if you don't have integrity or trustworthiness towards that, why would I give you true riches? What's he talking about there with true riches? Because it's obviously not worldly things. It's not money or, or physical blessings because he's saying you already have that, but you're not trustworthy with it. So how am I going to give you true riches? I believe that that's the spiritual blessings that come from God. His protection, what we're talking about in Psalm 15, his protection, his covering, his anointing in our life, his power working in our life. He's saying if you want to receive, if you want to be able to live in my presence like that, I need you to be faithful with the little. And it is about honoring our word. Our word matters. Honoring our word matters. And God rewards integrity. He does. He's a rewarder. And he rewards integrity. And if we don't think that, if we don't believe that, then we're deceived. Because he does. And it matters no matter who you think it doesn't hurt. If you can come up with some way to make an excuse. There's a spiritual application to it. I'll even explain a personal story. When I, when I did first start building houses, uh, the very first houses I built, I went to a developer and I said, hey, I'm trying to get into the building business. And long story short, he decided to give me these four pre-sale houses. They're smaller homes, but nice homes. And he said, they're already sold. You can have them. And I was blown away. I went to the bank. They said, 
let's do this. But I was very green when it came to business, and I didn't price them right. And I realized about halfway through one day that I was going to not only not make money on them, I was going to lose money on three of them and maybe break even on one. And I didn't have some big old nest egg set aside for all this. <laughs> I was venturing out in big-time faith. And I came to a crossroads at that moment. I had three choices. I either go back to the homeowners and say, I need more money to finish your homes. And I just completely negate the fact that I signed a contract with those people and don't honor my word and say, I need more money. Or I just walk away, let them go back to the bank and say, well, I tried, didn't work. Start putting my application in at other places. Or I could suck it up and build these houses and finish them and trust God to provide to be able to complete it and do it the way it's supposed to be done. And I could tell you it did not take me long at all to make that decision that I was going to finish these houses and I was going to trust God to provide for me. And I didn't tell the homeowners either. To this day, none of them know that I lost money building their house for them. But you know what? God honored it. And what happened was later, right towards the end of me building these houses, I didn't know this, but they were opening another phase in this neighborhood. These lots were being developed, and this developer was pleased with how I did on these first houses. So he said, hey, you want 10 of these lots over here? You can have them. I'll give them to you. And he gave me 10 lots, and I learned how to price these based on the huge mistakes I made on these. And I actually did really well, and God blessed me immensely to where the sting of those first four was eradicated in a matter of six to eight months. Now, that is not to toot my own horn. That is to say that God is faithful when we honor our word. He is looking for people that are honoring their word so he can prove himself faithful to them. He's looking for it, church. And, and he blessed me in spite of myself in that situation. Our words matter. Young people, honoring your word matters. Start young. Start young. When you say you're going to do something, even if you feel like you can get out of it without hurting anybody's feelings, honor your word. God sees it. I promise you, it matters. In fact, Peter says in, in 1 Peter, he tells us that if we're honorable, that the world will honor God because of our honor. They'll see it. It will cause people, it will cause the world to honor God. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 21, look what he says here. For we are taking great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Now, why is Paul worried about doing something for the eyes of man? Why is he trying to impress man? If you know Paul's ministry, he did not try to impress people. That wasn't his motive. He wasn't insecure in that. But he says, I want to, I'm taking great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Because when we honor God, it will cause the world to honor God. It testifies to God's goodness and faithfulness in our life. There's a spiritual principle there that we don't even have to understand. We just have to know that this is how it works. And God will do his part if we do our part. Amen? All right, so the, the next one is transparency. It's so important that we have transparency in our life, in our church, and in the, in the body of Christ that we are transparent. You know, this is something that th there tends to be a lack of this in the church. And I, I think over time, church culture has evolved into a place where it can feel like there's a pull for each one of us to act like we have it together all the time when really we don't. This is something we, we, we experience in church culture, and it's nobody's fault, really. It, a lot of it comes from a good heart. But at the end of the day, what's happening to so many of us is that we're coming in to the body, we're coming into community here, and we're struggling in certain ways, but we're putting on the facade to let, try to let everybody think that we're doing well. When inside, we're really not always doing well. I mean, we are human beings. We struggle, don't we? Sometimes we're going through a desert where you feel dry and cracked. It's not always mountaintop experiences with God. There's times of dryness. There are times of doubt. There's times we doubt our faith. We all know this. It happens to everybody at some time or another. But yet we don't talk about it. We just, we know how to play the game because for so many of us, we've been in church so long, we know how the game works. And it's not that we're trying to play a game. It's just that we're just kind of doing the thing that we think we need to do. Because we feel like we're the only ones struggling. 
You know, you come into church on a Sunday and it's like everybody else seems to be doing so well, but man, me, my, my marriage is falling apart or, or I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage this month or my kids are far from God and treating me terribly or whatever it is. And we're dealing with these things. I, I'm dealing with, I, I feel like I'm so driven to make money. I'm so greedy, but I don't want to talk about it because I, I want everybody to think I've got it all together. And what we're doing is we're actually using the place where we are meant to be free which is the body of Christ, where we're meant to exemplify and exhibit the freedom God gives, we take that place and actually make it a place of bondage because we refuse to be transparent. And a lack of transparency begets a lack of transparency. Because if, if I act like I got it all together and I'm doing great, but you're struggling, you're going to be like, yeah, me too. Yeah, God's good. Amen. Hallelujah. But if I come to you and I say, man, I'm really struggling. I feel dry. I can't remember the last time I feel like the Lord spoke to me through his word. I don't even like reading my Bible right now. And you say that to somebody and the guy's like, I thought I was the only one. Next thing you know, you're talking to each other, you're encouraging each other, you're sharing, and you're, you're lifting each other up. And next thing you know, you're dealing with the issues rather than putting a facade in front of them. It's so important that we exemplify and practice transparency. And I'm not talking about coming in the doors and when you see the first usher, you dump everything in your life on them. I don't think the ushers would want that. Do you guys want that, ushers? <laughs> but the, ex the other extreme is not okay either. We just always, I got my suit on, my teeth are brushed, my hair is combed, everything's good, glory to God. I pray nobody sees what's actually in my bank account because they will think less of me. Or I pray nobody can see in my, my mind and in my heart and know that I'm struggling with lust all the time. I don't want anybody to see that because everybody's going to reject me or think less of me. When in reality, when you look at statistics, men and women are struggling with lust at epidemic levels, but you never hear it. You never hear about it. Nobody struggles. Glory to God, I'm redeemed. I'm free from that. I don't struggle with that. That's, that's perverted. I remember being in a small group one time years ago, and somebody in the group had the audacity to mention that they were struggling with porn and lust. And I remember the air was sucked out of the room. All the guys were like, not me. <laughs> no, no, no. And eventually over time, another person had the courage to say it. And we went around the room and you found out almost everybody in the room was struggling with it at that time. And man, it was a time of healing, a time of encouragement, a time of accountability. It was freeing. But man, if we're not transparent, if we put up that facade... We're just living in this prison of our own making. And let me tell you, the world sees it too. The world sees our lack of transparency because they can see those people you work with or those people in your family that aren't saved. They see your struggle, but you never actually admit it or confess to it. So they, it comes across to them as phony. Even though it's not our heart, but it comes across that way. And we're actually hurting the kingdom of God by not being transparent. And it's hilarious because the more, when you talk to people about, you know, when they finally get the courage to be transparent and express the issues they're having, you, you always, without fail, hear people talk about the freedom it brings in their life. Man, it's made me so free to be able to, to talk about that and find out that somebody else is struggling with that too, that somebody else is struggling with worry and, and fear about this virus or fear about our political system and what's happening right now to know that I'm not the only one, but not to, not to feed each other's fear and make it grow, but to actually help each other. Because see, and here's the thing too, church, when it comes to like our past and not wanting to let anybody know our past, because, oh, you know, that's, that's a dark time in my life. I don't really want to talk about that because that's not who I am anymore. And I, I don't want anybody to know about that because people will think less of me. What you're doing by, by doing that is you are actually keeping people from experiencing the faithfulness of God through what he's done in your life. And for some people, if people are in a desert and they're not ex having a great experience with God in the moment, they're struggling, they feel dry and cracked, you're, ne you're neglecting them, possibly the only opportunity they really have to experience the presence of God in their life at that moment. Not forever, but in that moment. Because they're not experiencing him in ways that you are in that moment where you can go into worship and you get emotional and it's just a beautiful thing. You feel God hugging you all the time. But that guy beside you is in a dry area and doesn't feel it at all. And what they're, what's going to encourage them is seeing God's faithfulness in your life. So we have to be available and willing to be transparent. I think the story in the Bible that, that, that hits it the hardest 
or one of the stories, is the story of the rich young ruler in uh, Mark 10, I believe it is. And, uh, you know, he came to Jesus. He came on his knees. You know, he had the posture. He got on his knees in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But he wasn't being transparent. He looked like he was. To the average preacher, if he'd have come and ran up and did that to, to me, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. I'll help you. But Jesus saw his heart. Jesus saw that he wasn't really being transparent. He just wanted to add this whole salvation thing to his repertoire of what he had. And Jesus looked right through him and he said, he saw his issues. He saw that he was selfish, self-centered, greedy, loved money, loved power. He saw all that. And so he said, he called him on it right there. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And you guys know the story. He, he went away sad. He wasn't willing to do it because he was not willing to be transparent about his real issues. If he'd come before Jesus and said, Jesus, help me. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I need you. I'm, I may have, might have a lot of money in the physical, but spiritually I'm poor and I need you. Jesus would have took his hand right there and brought him into the kingdom. But he was unwilling to be transparent and Jesus saw right through it. You contrast that with Zacchaeus, who you know the story of Zacchaeus. He climbed up in the tree because he was short and couldn't see Jesus. That resonates with me, praise God. And Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I got to go stay with you today. So he went to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus, having the, the Lord Jesus Christ in his home, you know what he said? He said, Jesus, I'm going to take half of my possessions and give them all to the poor. And he said, anybody that I have wronged, I'm going to pay them back four times what I've taken from them. That was transparency because he saw his heart and he saw who Jesus was. And you know what Jesus' response was to him? He said, today salvation has come to this house. What a, what a glaring difference between him and the rich young ruler. And it was all about transparency. It was all about just saying, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. Jesus, I need you. And man, when we're transparent, God can do more in our life than we could ever do trying to fight on our own. We have to stop putting up the facade. You know, there are two major Christian leaders over the last couple months that have fallen into sexual sin. You may know who it is. But huge stories that have been devastating and been completely disgraced. And it was situations where I, I don't know the inside story, but I know enough to know that they were not being transparent in their life. They were probably struggling, and rather than go to somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, they felt like they could deal with it on their own. I can deal with this. Next thing you know, they're in a relationship they shouldn't be in. And then you just live your life putting up the facade and trying to hide it from people. But here's the thing. God will always expose it eventually. It's always going to get exposed eventually. And let me tell you, it's a lot better if you come forward and you're transparent than being exposed. There's no comparison. And what that's happened with those two guys, it is, I, my heart breaks for their family, but my heart also breaks for our movement and our cause. Because it has a detrimental effect towards the kingdom. Because those nuns are looking at that going, see, you guys are no better than anybody else. Why should I be part of what you guys are doing? When in reality, those are good guys that just refuse to be transparent. And they allowed themselves to get into a situation they couldn't get out of on their own. So transparency is huge. Third and finally is authenticity. And this is my, this is the one I think stands out the most to me. Authenticity, two definitions of authenticity. One is genuine which I think we all understand that. To be authentic is to be genuine. But there's another one that says undisputed origin. And I love it. Because like, if you're going to buy something online, like a collectible or something that you know, you're paying good money for it, but it could have been, been counterfeited, if it's, if it's real, what people will give you is what? A certificate of authenticity, right? It gives you that security of knowing that not only is that thing real, its, it's, it's origin is verified that it's real and it's not a fake and it's authentic as to what it says it is. And how much more so is that what the world needs in the church? That we not only say we're Christians, but it can be verified by our lifestyle. That you can, the, the people can look at us and say, I can verify that person's faith because X, Y, Z. Is your faith verifiable today? That's my question to you. Is it verifiable? Not just that you tell people you're a Christian or you have a Jesus fish on your car, but does your lifestyle back up what you say about your faith? Because if it does, the world will see that too. 
We need to be undisputed in our origin. Have you been changed? Have you been changed by the blood of Jesus? I hope so. If we've been changed, then we don't look like the world looks. We looked like a a blood-bought person that's redeemed, that's set free, that's born again, that's sanctified, that's spirit-filled, and living for Jesus. That's how we should look. And we would look different than the world, and so they would see the authenticity of it. Not that we can argue the Bible, but that our lifestyle is lived in such a way that the love of God just emanates from us and flows out of us. And people see it, and they see our community, they see the body of Christ, and they say, I want some of that. I want to be a part of that, because that's really cool. Because I know how that person used to be, and they got saved, now they're like this. That's really great. God's done a lot in that person's life. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, 43 to 45. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is a saved person. That's a Christian, okay? Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized or verified, you know, considered authentic by its own fruit. People do not fit pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings out good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He's saying if you're, if you're a tree, if you're a Christian, there's going to be fruit. This isn't about like we have to be a good person to get saved. This is about a saved person will be good. We get that backwards sometimes, like, well, I don't want to get into works. You know, we're saved by grace. Of course we are. But the grace that saves us is also going to empower us to have fruit. A good tree can't help but have good fruit. It doesn't even have to try. It just has good fruit because that's what it is. And a bad tree can't have good fruit. It's going to have bad fruit because that's what it is. Our fruit is verified. It verifies our authenticity. Look at what the Apostle John said. This is the apostle of love. You know, he talked about being the beloved, and he was all about love. <laughs> he gave some pretty hard words in 1 John chapter 2. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. That's some harsh words from John. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him, in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. He puts it out right out there on the table and says, this is what it looks like. If you really are in him, you will look different than the world. And there will be able to, we will be able to verify and certify your Christian faith. The fact that you are a good tree. And see, here's the thing. Inauthenticity, or another word would that be, would be hypocrisy really gets on our Heavenly Father's nerves. Jesus talked a lot. He said, some of the harshest words he spoke were about hypocrisy. And none more harsh than in Revelation 3. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to this. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, This verse here, I've actually, in the past, I've struggled with it. When I was in my younger years, I'd read that and think, man, that's pretty harsh. I don't even know if that makes a lot of sense to me because I understand that Jesus wants us to be hot. You know, he wants us to burn for him. You know, that song we sang today, Refinery, he says, I want to burn for you, God. That's what he's talking about, hot. They're the ones that are living for Jesus. They're they're born again. They are living according to the word of God. They've been changed by the blood of God, the blood of Jesus, washing their sins away, and they're living in the power and the grace of God. That's the hot, right? And then you got the cold, who are people that are far from God. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't profess to have any faith in God or any connection to the church or anything that has to do with God, right? They're they're the nuns. They're the I'm out, you know. Then you have the lukewarm, who are kind of riding the fence. And Jesus says, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. See, I see the lukewarm as somebody that, you know, that got saved, that understands the gospel, isn't really living it like they should, but they understand the gospel. They might come to church sometimes and they're not really connected, but, you know, they, 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 they tend to believe the things they read in the word. You know, they, they, would be, they would be for prayer in schools and they probably have the Bible app on their phone and, you know, maybe give a little money in the church sometimes, but they're not really living the life of a person that's carrying their cross, 
right? They're kind of riding the fence. They got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Jesus says, I'd rather you were cold than to be riding the fence. And to make sense of that, you have to have a revelation and understanding of what God's priorities are in our life. Because God loves us. Amen? No question about it. He loves us. But you know what? His priority is for him and his kingdom. And if you're hot, you're the one expanding his kingdom. You're the one bringing the people into the kingdom of God. You're the one growing his kingdom and making it thrive and flourish. If you're cold, you're far from God. You have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You don't have a positive effect on it. You don't have a negative effect on it because no one would come to you if you're cold and say, hey, how do I know God? They're not going to even approach you. You're just kind of out here on an island. But if you're in the middle and you're lukewarm and you're riding that fence and those cold people think that you are a follower of Jesus, you're actually a hindrance to the kingdom of God because you're actually standing in the way of these cold people getting over here to the hot side because they're seeing you and they're saying, you're a hypocrite. If that's what the Christian faith is, I don't want it. You can have it. I know you're sleeping with your girlfriend. I know you're greedy as all get out. I know you're, you're fearful and worried and anxious about everything under the sun. You're huddled in the corner or scared of COVID. You're no better than me. Why do I want this? And we're actually standing in the way of these people coming into the kingdom. And he says, I wish you were cold because if you were cold, at least I have a chance of reaching you and getting you over to the hot side. But if you're in the middle, you think you're good. I'm fine. What do I need? I'm straddling the fence. Woohoo! Here we go. Just trying to make it so I can, when, right before I die, I can fall over onto the hot side. That's what it is. And Jesus says, makes me sick to my stomach. That word spit out of your mouth, it's actually more like vomit. So you're making him sick when we live this half-hearted life of faith. That's not authentic. It's hypocritical. Because we're saying one thing when we're with our church friends, and we're doing another thing when we're with our non-church friends. And Jesus said, mm -mm, you're actually hurting my kingdom. He even says, he talks to Jesus, talks about, it, he says, you know, if you make one of these little ones stumble, if your hypocrisy gets in the way of a little one getting to me, what does he say? He said, it'd be better for you to have a big old boulder tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. That's some harsh words from Jesus. He's saying, if you're going to cause these people to stay away from the hot side, because you're going to get in the way because of your hypocrisy, it'd be better for you to be in the bottom of the ocean, son. Those are the words of Jesus. Those aren't mine. It's not okay for us to be inauthentic. We need to be burning hot for Jesus. We need to be all in or all out is what Jesus says. Because if you're all out, at least there's a chance maybe God can touch you and get you over here somehow. But if you're in the middle thinking you're doing good because you're straddling the fence and you got this figured out, Jesus says, you don't, in fact, look what he says a little further down in that chapter in Revelations 3. It's in, uh, man, I got so far off my notes, I can't even get to it. There we go. Revelation 3, 17. He said, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. That's why, that's why we're in that lukewarm area, because the very blessings of God have caused us to be lukewarm. He's saying, you think you're rich. You think you've acquired things. You think my blessings have given you, made, brought you to a place where you don't need to be hot. You can ride the fence because you don't really need much because you're so blessed. Then he goes on in the second part of verse 17 to tell us what we really are. He says, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And you know, I read that and I think, ooh, that's a harsh word to the unsaved people. This is to the church in Laodicea. He's saying this to Christians, guys. This is not to some far from God people. This is to the church. He's saying, you need to understand what you really are. Now, you're my children, and I love you, and I brought you into my family, but without me, this is what you are. And there's nothing about you that's making you not this. It's only me and my grace. And so don't think you can straddle the fence, and it's just going to be okay, because what you're doing is you're keeping those people on the cold side from really being able to even experience the gift that I have provided for them. And if you're going to get in the way of people coming into my kingdom, I want to spit you out. Because he cares about those people on the cold side. He's not just saying like, ah, they're cold, that's fine, we're just going to focus on all these hot people. No, he wants hot people to bring cold people in and make it hotter. That's his heart. So there's no place for us to be inauthentic. Mm. Professing faith. It's not the same thing as possessing faith. And God can see right through it. He can see right 
through it. The number one reason people reject Christianity is from lukewarm Christians. Brandon Manning said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We cannot afford to live any any less than the redeemed new life that Jesus gives us and that we claim to have. It's time for the church to be the church. Our society needs it desperately. The turmoil that's going on, the chaos in our society right now, they need the church to be the church. They need us, church. And it's our responsibility to be what they need us to be. Here's the beauty of it, church. When we say, Lord, here's my life, he empowers us. He doesn't just say, tell us to live in a certain way and says, go do it. He gives us his spirit to live in us, to empower us. When he's, when he's purifying us, it's his spirit working in us to make us more like him, to give us more of his mind. So it's not just us gritting our teeth trying to figure it out. We're actually setting ourselves up to let his power work through us in a greater way. And I'm telling you, I know you guys know this, but this season that we're in, whether it gets more chaotic and more turmoil coming in the days and weeks to follow, we're going to need the Spirit of God in us, living in us and through us. It's our only chance. It's not, it's not enough for us to just try to be good people. Because on our own, we're, we're, not, we're helpless against the enemy on our own. You know, I was reminded of the story of the, that Jesus told of the guy that was, had a demon and the demon was cast out of him. And it said the demon went into the wilderness looking for rest and couldn't find any. So he went and got seven of his friends that were more evil than him and went back to the guy. And it says that they found the house cleaned and in order and unoccupied. And it says that these demons inhabited that house again and this guy was worse off than he was before. You know what we learned from that? The enemy is not intimidated by an empty, clean house. It's not enough to just try to be good. What, what intimidates the enemy and what causes him to stay away from that house is if that house is full of the Spirit of God. When we are living Spirit-filled, when we are living in such a way that the power of God is active in our life, the enemy doesn't have a chance because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen? But that's up to us. We don't just say a prayer, God, fill me, and then it's just easy peasy from then on. We got to live in such a way that we're open and allowing to be filled with the Spirit continually, the Bible says. Be continually filled with the Spirit. It's got to be something we're intentional about. Our world needs the church to be the church. We are a community, but we need to act like one. Let's pray. Receive this prayer today, church. Lift your hands, bow your head, kneel, whatever you want to do, but receive this prayer today. We respond to the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today, God, that we can trust you, that you and you alone are trustworthy. Your name is faithful. And we put all of our trust, all of our hope is in you today, God. Our hope is not in a political system, in a political candidate, in a vaccine, in anything this world can offer. Our hope is not there. Our hope is in you. We trust you, Jesus. And Lord, would you help us as the church to be the church that you have called us to be, to be a church on fire, that we would be refined, that we would burn hot for you, Lord, that anybody that comes near us would get scorched, that they would want what we have. Lord, that we would live with such integrity, such transparency, and such authenticity that people would be drawn to your kingdom, that we would see everything that's happening around us now in light of your truth in light of wanting to see your kingdom come and your will be done that anything that happens around us can be a vehicle for you to use what what man purposed for evil you turn it for good and lord we come to you today and as a church lord we we repent for not walking into integrity and not being transparent and not being authentic lord we repent of it we ask you would forgive us god We know none of us are perfect. You don't expect perfection. But we want to make confession and repentance a lifestyle for us because we're never going to fully arrive. But you just want us to come with humble hearts. 
So like Zacchaeus, Lord, we come today and we say, we just need you. Lord, I want salvation to come to our house today. That we would know you in a greater measure, in a greater capacity, God. That your name would be made great through our lives. That we would not be fence riders, but we would be hot. That we would not stand in the way of your kingdom growing and expanding, but that we would be agents that would help your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace in our life, Lord Jesus. Would you just pour it out into our lives, Lord? Empower us to live for you. And God, we pray for this great nation today. Lord, there's so much chaos, so much unrest. There's a war going on, God, and we pray that you would do battle in the heavenlies over this great country. God, that what is being done in darkness would be brought into the light. That deception and deceitfulness would be exposed in Jesus' name. That you would strengthen your church, God, to be the people you've called us to be, to love, to be light, to be salt, to be your hands and feet. Whatever that looks like, Lord, for the people in our lives. God, we want to walk in the light. We know that your word tells us that when we love you, that people, the world's going to think they're doing you a favor by persecuting us. God, we're not here for comfort. I'd rather, I'd rather be persecuted in the light than comfortable in the darkness for a season. Lord, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. We'll trust you. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory, Jesus. You are worthy of our lives, and we give them to you today. Refine us, Lord. Purify us, God. Glorify your name in our lives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Do you love God today? Can we give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy, God. God is good, Lord. Church, be encouraged. God is good. No matter what's happening out there, God is good. We trust Him. That's where our trust is. Pray. Fight the battles in prayer. And let's trust the Lord with our lives.